Well, so far it's been good. <laughs> we ain't got through this yet. But it has been delightful. <laughs> it has been delightful. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And I appreciate all the food that you all have made. And I'm looking forward to eating something besides pies and cakes. <laughs> you know, it'll... It's, uh, of course, that, that pies and cakes are good. <laughs> Not find anything wrong with them. I like them too, but I like a little meat and taters every once in a while. You know what a tater is, don't you? Yeah, everybody knows what taters are. That's what we call them down home. I want to preach this morning, God willing, on seven attitudes. Seven attitudes. Seven in the scriptures always speaks of perfection, of completeness. And that's what it ta- tells us about perfection and completeness. And as we look at these seven attitudes today, excuse me, seven aspects of a believer's relationship with God. All believers have this kind of relationship with God, seven aspects of it. And though the things that I'm going to talk about are not perfect in us, the one thing we want, we're looking forward to the day when they will be perfect. They'll all be complete and be as we would be. And I know that every heaven-born son of God, every single one of them, has the characteristics of these seven different attitudes toward God as these Thessalonians did. And let me show you the very first one, seven of them now. The very first one is over here in chapter 2 and verse 13. I want you to look at this. This is one thing that every heaven-born son of God does says here in verse 13, chapter 2, for, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Now listen to this. When you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you. All believers receive the word of God. I mean, they receive it. Not as the word of a man, not as the word of a man, but as it is in truth, the word of God itself. You see, it's God uses the word to save his people. You know, there is people that believe you can be one of God's elect, may not find out till you get to heaven. But I don't believe that. I believe that the scriptures teaches us very, very clearly that God uses his word to save us. And let me show you what I mean. First of all, you keep Thessalonians. Look over in James with me in chapter 1. James chapter 1. You know, and it says here it works effectually in you. God's word is, I never will forget one time, and I've probably, I've probably told you this before, but I don't remember if I have. But I remember when I met Brother Henry Mahan. I was sitting across the desk from him and looking at him, and, uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I know it's the gospel soaked in our tears. 
he stuck that big old long finger across the pulpit and looked at me, put it right in my eye between my eyes and said, it's just the gospel whether you ever shed a tear or not. And I said, whoa. <laughs> and you know, I, I, he taught me a great valuable lesson that day. It's not how we preach the gospel, it's the gospel itself. It's not how we preach the word, it's the word itself. God said, my word shall not return unto me void. It will accomplish that that I sent it forth to do. And look what is said here in verse 18 of first, or James chapter 1 and verse 18. And here's what we're talking about. Of his own will, this shows us the salvations of the Lord. Begat he us. That word begat means to give life to. Take a seed and give life to. With the word of truth. With the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. So since he uses the gospel and uses the word. Let everybody be swift to hear. Listen closely to what's being said. And oh listen. Slow to speak. Be very very careful about what you say. About what you hear. And especially be slow to wrath if you get start get upset by what the preacher say. And I tell you what, and then he said in verse 21, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity, naughtiness, and receive with meekness, pliability, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And I tell you, we receive the word of God as it is the word of men. And you know, we receive the love of the truth. The scriptures tells us over in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, being born again. Now that's one thing that has to happen, something we can't do. We cannot give ourselves a new birth. And we had as wisdom passive in our new birth as we was in our first birth. But being born again, not of corruptible seed. That's that seed that we have. There's two seeds, corruptible seed. That's us. That's all we can produce is corruptible seed. But being born again, not by corruptible seed, but incorruptible. What is that incorruptible seed? The word of God. How long does it last? It liveth and abideth forever. And it's by the word that the gospel is preached unto you. And I said we receive the word in much affliction. What that means is that you pray to this. God takes his word and he plows with that word. He said, it's like a hammer, it'll break. He's like, it's fire, it'll burn. And I tell you, God's word will accomplish what he sends it to see. And you know something? Here's another thing about God's people. They receive the love of the truth. It's not just receive the truth, but the love of the truth. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians with me. Over here in chapter 2. You know, we receive the love of the truth. I mean, I've... I don't know how many times people have told me, and I tell people, I actually love, love the Word of God. I love the gospel. I love the truth. I mean, I love it. I got to have it. I cannot live without it. And that's what I'm talking about here. But there's a difference between the religion, false religion, and true religion, and it's right here. He said in verse 10, 2 Thessalonians, and with all deceivableness and of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now listen to this, because they received not the love of the truth. It didn't say they didn't receive the truth, that they didn't receive the love of the truth. 
And when you receive the love of the truth, I mean you come because that's what you got to have. I mean you actually love it. And I'm t- uh, you know we love it so much that we, we will not go and hear anything or anybody else say anything else. We will not. Uh, uh, you know Wayne said he's not never going to another funeral where a sovereign grace preacher is not preaching it. I started that years and years ago because I happened to go to a funeral and I tell you what, and I didn't preach it and it was awful. It was awful. I felt this is the awfulest thing. I don't want to hear this man lie. I don't want to hear this man deceive people. And I tell you, I said, I'll never set foot. I don't care who it is. I'm not going to go and hear another man say anything against God or Christ or preach the free will of man. Not going to do it. I'm not going to go and hear anybody else preached into heaven who died like a, a rebel, died a rebel without God and without Christ. And he says we, they didn't receive the love of the truth. And listen to this, that they might be saved. What saves you? God's truth, God's word. And listen to this now. You think God is... God's, everybody said God's love. He got to give everybody a chance. Well, let's listen to this, what he says. And because they received not the love of the truth, God said, I'm going to send them a strong delusion. They want to believe a lie. They want to be damned. They don't want God's sovereignty. They don't want God's electing grace. They don't want to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want, don't want to take Christ as he is, sitting on his throne with all his power and all of his glory and all of his might. They want to stand and judge God them, him, themselves and say, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not just. Man with his puny little brain wants to sit in judgment on God and tell what he can and cannot do. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Listen to this. Go ahead and believe you lie. Go ahead and believe it. And what's going to happen to them? That they all might be damned who believed not the truth. Now, I tell you, that's what I'm talking about. That's one attitude we got. We love the truth. We receive the truth. We delight in the truth. Oh, I heard old Ross Barner say one time, he said, if there's truth to be found in America, I'm going to find the fellows to say it, and when I get there, I'm going to sit down and listen to what he's got to say. And I tell you, beloved, you know, you remember when Simon preached, fished all night long, and the Lord Jesus got in the boat with them that morning. And he says, now, told Peter, said, take your boat, go out there and, and launch out into the deep. Let down your net. And Simon Peter, oh, he said, Lord, said, listen, I know preaching. I'm, excuse me, I know fishing. I know how to fish. That's all I've ever done is fish. And we didn't catch a thing in the world, but... Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word. And he let it down. And he couldn't get all the fish in the boat to the car. And you know what he said? Because he questioned the Lord, told the Lord what he could do and what he had done. He said, oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm such a sinful man. Uh, oh, my. And so we receive the love of the truth. Now look back over here at 1 Thessalonians 1. Here's another attitude that we have. Here's the second one. In verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, For they themselves show of us what mannering in 
entering in we had unto you. And listen to this. And how you turn to God from idols. <laughs> you know, when you hear the truth, you see the love of the truth, you know what you do? You turn to God. Now, let me say something right here. The new birth, we're absolutely passive in the new birth. I did not choose my mother. I did not choose my father. I didn't choose how tall I'd be. I didn't choose how much hair I'd have. I didn't choose the color of eyes I'd have. I did not choose anything about my what I would be. I had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it. And that's the way it is in the new birth. God comes and he creates in us. He plants that seed in us. The word of God, the gospel, he plants a seed in our hearts. Now, when that seed germinates, when that seed comes to fruition, and that's what convert the difference between the new birth and conversion is this. The new birth, we're completely passive in it. And then when we have that new birth and we hear the gospel, the next thing we do, and this is conversion, we turn to God. We ain't got no place else to go. We turn to God. Where else we gonna go? We done hurt. We, we're depraved. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We can't do anything. The new birth didn't come by our work, and so we turned to God. We began to, like a baby, when it comes out, his mom will cry. We start crying out. We turn to God. Oh, when, what do we turn from? We turn from our idols. Well, I never had an idol. If you didn't, you're the first person ever born without one. <laughs> What's some of the idols that you have? Oh, I'm really worth something. It's like one fella, one mother told her son, said, well, son, I know you're a good boy. Said, you've been a boy scout. And, you know, so what? What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? But I tell you, see, idols of, idols of their own making. I'm worth something. I'm somebody. And that's all they want now, you know. I, listen, you're somebody. That's what preachers got to tell everybody. Oh, you're something special. You know that you really are special. What makes you special? Huh? That's what people want to do. Well, pre- preachers, you're such good. And I, I, listen, I'm not, be, I, I'm just telling you what preachers are telling folks. And then, you know, there's this old, old morality. Everybody thinks because they're moral and doing the best I can. One man said one time, got up and said, I believe the Bible all my life. And I immediately said, well, he's believed it way, way, way too long. Uh, I never even owned a Bible till I was 21 years old. I had a New Testament given to me when I was about six or seven in a Southern Baptist Church. I never even owned a Bible till I was 21 years old. And I went and bought it, and the more I read it, the more trouble I got into. And I couldn't do a thing in the world about it. Huh? And I was, you know, and not listen. And then there are those who trust in themselves that they're more righteous than others. But I tell you what, the living God, they turn from their idols to the living God. Oh, we turn from our idols of free will. Turn from our idols of traditions. You know, we had so many traditions down home. Oh my goodness, when I first got down there, and of course... I was just as much, I, I, I was guilty and I pr- promoted that stuff as much as anybody. Anybody. But I tell you, the living God takes the place of self. The living God takes the place of idols. The living God takes the place of our traditions and our false beliefs. 
And I tell you, our Lord said a man cannot serve two masters. You know, most folks have, listen, you know what most people have? Just enough religion to make them miserable. They got too much world in them that they can't enjoy the gospel. And they got just enough religion in them that they can't enjoy the world. And so they're caught between these two worlds. And that's why they show up every once in a while. And act like, boy, this is the greatest thing since I ever heard. And then you won't see them again for three or four months. <laughs> you know? How do you explain that? They got just enough religion. When they come in, they say, oh, boy, I... Uh, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, they just... I, <laughs> but I tell you what, when you turn from to God, the living God, and I tell you that's what we do. We turn to we turn from our idols. I never will forget when I first learned the gospel. I first learned the gospel. I, we had so many idols to tear down, so many false things to get rid of, and and I and I, and I never will forget it. For two years, for two years, where I started with preaching where I am, been there 42 years now. All I preached on is how in the world, how in the world can God, who is a just God, have anything to do with a bunch of ungodly sinners like us? Who lived by our own righteousness, lived by our own works, lived by our own deeds, lived by our profession, lived by our praying, lived by our giving, lived by everything we did but Christ. And I tell you, with you know, people get on the altars and they get up just to squall and everybody say, oh boy, they got saved, they got a good dose of it. That's all they got, it's like giving a dose of medicine. <laughs> oh my, it's pitiful, ain't it? But when God comes with that gospel, comes with that power and that word of truth, there's nothing a man can do but turn to God. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I got to have you. Oh, God, forgive me. Huh? Oh, we turn to him. And then look here in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 1. Here's the third thing. We dwell in God. When you turn to God, you start dwelling. In, we dwell in God. He said here in verse 1, Paul and Silvanus, that word Silvanus is the third word is Silas over in the book of Acts. And Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, <laughs> and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know where we live now? Where our dwelling place is? Ah, what a wonderful place to live. You know, the safest place to hide from God, you know where it's at? In God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is our refuge. This is our resting place. Oh, my. We come, we dwell, and, and then, you know what I said last night, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And here we are, we dwell in the Father, and we dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord said, you know, you abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And so he, we dwell, we live in God the Father. I mean, that's, that's where we live at. And when you receive the word of truth, turn from idols to the living God. Oh my, so we're in God and we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I, you know, we got a two-fisted salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Our Lord Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and no man shall pluck me out of them hands. And then our, he said, and nobody is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Now, how can you be more safer than in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the hands of God the Father? And that's what he's telling us right now. Who's going to open them hands of God? Huh? Who's going to do that? And that's what he's talking about. We're in God and we're in Christ. Our Lord said this. He said, without me, you can do a few things. Without me, you might be able to, you know, make a profession. But he said, without me, you can do nothing. Can't do nothing. He said, I'm the vine. You know what you are? You know, I'm the vine. I'm the one that's got all the life. I'm the vine. You know what you are? You're just branches. You're just branches. So if you're going to have any life, if you're going to have anything, you've got to dwell in me, and I've got to give you that life for myself. And that's what he's talking about. We dwell in God, we dwell in Christ, and our life comes from him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are saved. Colossians 3.3 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. People say, you need to make Christ the first in your life. You need to make Christ the priority in your life. Christ is our life. He don't come first. He is our life. He is. I'm not, you know, we don't put him first. No, 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 no. He is our life. We have no life apart from him. He is our strength. Our Lord Jesus says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. The weaker we are, the more perfect his strength is. Oh my, bless his name. I have no strength but what Christ gives me. I have no ability but what Christ gives me. I don't know nothing but what Christ taught me. I can't do nothing without him. I don't want to do nothing without him. Oh, we're satisfied in our dwelling place. And I tell you this, I don't want one hair of my head to be outside of God and Christ. Not one hair of my head. Now, like old Scott Richardson used to say, I quote him all the time. He says, if there's a, a square foot on this earth that God does not control, I don't want to stand there. Huh? If there's, one, if there's a foot on this earth, a square foot on this earth that God does not control and God does not own, I don't want to stand there. Do you? And I, you know, oh, I tell you, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Are you satisfied with God, satisfied with Christ, satisfied with the word? Oh, I tell you, there's nothing like it. When this, this year stupid pandemic that had everybody in an absolute uproar, scared to death, you know, to venture out of their houses and everything else, you know, when everybody got upset about that and the government tried to control us with it, and I, and I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds, but it never bothered me. But I tell you what, I preached one service from home, and then I went to church and I preached a service from the pulpit. And then the third Sunday, I got up. People started coming in. 
He said, I can't stand this. I got to come, I got to come and worship. I got to, I, I can't stop, I can't live like this. I got to come and be in a service. That'd be like your wife fixing you a supper and say, well, listen, I'll, I'll put it up on, put it, put it on the, put it on the internet and I'll look at it. You know, I can't eat it, but I can look at it. You know, that's what it is, you know. Listen, you can't, you can't eat until you sit to the table. Ain't that right? You know, you know people just, uh, you know. I'm not the smartest fellow to ever live, but I got sense enough to know that. But that's the truth. You know that just as well as I do. I, and, and, oh, listen. <laughs> Oh boy. But we, I am satisfied with God in Christ. And if God don't save me and God don't keep me, there ain't nothing in the world that's going to keep. You know, there is, God's the first cause of everything. Now, I don't know what second cause He's going to use to take me out of this world. And I really don't care. But He's going to use a second cause. It may be cancer, it may be a heart attack. It may be old age. It may be dementia. I don't know what it'll be. And I truly, truly don't care. Because he's God and he's going to do right by me all every day of my life. He has and he will right to the very end. And that's what I mean. I'm satisfied with him. And he's the first cause of everything. So why in the world do people get upset that things happen in this world when God controls it all? He controls every germ. And there ain't no germ going to get you until God wills it to get you. There ain't nothing going to bother you, not a hair of your head. He said, he, said, he, he said, I number the hairs of your head. I know the numbers of the hair on your head. And if he counts the hairs on our head, you think he's going to let something bother you and hurt you that he doesn't seem necessary for you? I, I, listen, we just, I, we're going to sit and wait on God and whatever he does is going to be just exactly right. If he sends a germ along, that, if, he sends him, if he sends some bug along and I take that bug in my body and next thing my body is just decimated, that's just the way he's going to take me home. Huh? Oh boy. Well, <laughs> I think I... I you know, hope I didn't upset anybody. I didn't mean to, but I, you know, just, it just is what, I'm like old Popeye. I am what I am and can't be no yammer. <laughs> oh, let me give you another one here, back there in verse 9. Here's the, here's the fourth one. And you turn from God to you turn to God from idols, and listen to this: to serve the living and true God. Serve the living and true God. Now, what do I mean by serving? You know, a son, his father tells him, "Son, I want you to go do this. I want you to go do that." Yes, I'll go. I'll do it. A husband provides a home for his wife for his wife. Provides her clothes and provides her all the things that's necessary for her in this life. Provides her with love. And a wife provides for her husband. 
cooks meals for him, takes care of his clothes, keeps his house clean, keeps all the things necessary that's be done. But you know the best master in this world and in this universe is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a blessed master we have. What a blessed master. You know, under the, when, the, when a mer- man had a, a servant, and it, after that servant served him, he says, now you can go free. And if that man didn't want to go free, if he loved his master, they'd take him to a doorpost like that right over there, and they'd take a, an awl and stick it in his ear and drill a hole in his ear. And by doing that, he said, I love my master, and I don't want to go out free. And we love our master, and then our master set us free. And I'll tell you what, you know what he set us free to do? To pray. You know, coming here to hear the gospel. We come here to be within the presence of our master. That's what we're talking about. We're free to serve. And i tell you what, we're gladly, joyfully, thankfully, we're free to pray. We're free to witness. We're free to give. We're free to labor in the gospel. We're free to serve one another, love one another. And I tell you what, God set us free from selfishness and self-centeredness. I think that's one of the most awful things in the world is somebody to be self-centered and everything revolves around them. I I do think that's one of the most awful things in the world. And that's why Paul said, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Present yourself to who? To God. Huh? Oh my, you know, and when we talk about serving, when you go to a restaurant or something like that and the the waitress comes, she's there to serve you. And you're grateful to her, you thank her, and they bring you what you ask for, and that's what we're talking about. You know how the best in the world we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Serving one another, waiting on one another, taking care of one another, watching out for one another, praying for one another, loving one another. That's how we do it. And let me show you something. There's, the Thessalonians are a pattern for us in the character of their service. Let me show you what their service was. Look here in verse 3. This is how they serve the Lord. It's what we're talking about, serving the Lord. Remembering without cease. Here's the first thing. Their work was a work of faith. They believed God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith worketh by love. Here's the second thing. It was a labor of love. (laughs) You do what you do because you love. Huh? You know why you put a meal on the table? Because you love. And you know if your wife says, what do you like the best? What's your favorite food? You know what they're going to do? They're going to put the favorite food on the table. Why? Because they love you. They want to take care of you. You know why people open their homes? Because they love you. And I'll tell you what, it was a labor of love. It's not, well, oh my, I got to go to church this morning. It's, uh, oh, we got to go to church again. Oh, that's, I hope it don't last long. You know, it's just, but that, that's, no, we're here because we love. We want to be here. We love to be here. I love to preach. I'm laboring right now. I'm laboring to preach. But it's not a labor to me. It's not a hard thing for me. 
It's a labor of love. I love you. I love the gospel. I love my master. And wherever, and this is one of the most blessed things in the world. No matter where you go to preach. And I've preached in a lot of places and, a, and under, in a lot of congregations. But here's the thing about it. Every place I go, I feel like I'm at home. You know why I feel like I'm at home? Because I'm with brothers and sisters, the same people that I am when I'm at home. And you know what I know? You're here because you love Christ and you love the gospel. And I'm here because I love Christ and I love the gospel. It's why it's called a labor of love. If you love something, it ain't hard work, is it? <laughs> and then look at here. And then the, then the third thing is this. It was, it, it was a impatience, an impatience of hope. Patience of hope. Oh, my. You know what hope is? Hope looks always to the future. And I, and I, believe, I believe if you was to go through the scriptures and look at this word hope, it always has to do with the future and the resurrection of the Lord's people. I believe that's right. Because where is our expectation of hope at? First of all, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh? He said, the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen. And look what he goes on to say. And, and here's the third thing was, it was in the sight of God. Everything we do is in the sight of God. We're justified in the sight of God. We accept it in the sight of God. And I tell you what, our labor of love, our work of faith, our patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us in the sight of God. And when we talk about eye service, you know what eye service is? Let me tell you what eye service is. As <clears throat> down home, you know, if anybody was working on a job or something like that, when the boss left, they would take their old white buckets, you know. Have you ever seen these old white five-gallon buckets, you know? They'd take their five-gallon bucket, turn it upside down, sit down until the boss got back. That's called eye service. <laughs> Then the boss come back, they turn their bucket back up, they go right back to work, you know, they hear his truck coming. That's eye service. And that's what a lot of folks like to do. Well, they, they'll see me there. Oh, they'll, they'll pay attention to me. Oh, no, we ain't going to do eye service. No, no, I'm, we're in the sight of God. We're not going to do eye service. And oh, my, one is our master. One is our master. And it's him that we live to honor and glorify and please in this world. And then look in verse 10. Here's the fifth attitude. And to wait for his son from heaven. We're waiting for the son of God. Whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus Christ which delivered us from the wrath to come. We're waiting for his son from heaven. You know. There's a lot of people, you know, been in the military the last few years, and, and they get to come home. Every once in a while, they'll get to come home. And they'll, be, they'll tell them, said, I'll be home at such and such a day, at such and such a time. And so they, they're, they're, you know, they say, Daddy's, this mother says to the children, said, Daddy's coming home. And they believe what their mama said. They believe what their daddy said. He's going to be there at such and such time. You know what the kids do? They run up and get on the back of the couch and look out the window. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what faith does. They believe, but hope looks out the window, waiting. And that's what we're doing. We're waiting on the... He said, I'm coming again. 
So we're looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What are we looking for? We're looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every once in a while, he'll say, well, I'm going to get that one and bring it home. I'm going to get that one and bring him home. You know, our Lord Jesus said it like this. He said he'd come again, that he's going to come to get us. He said, in my father's house. No, he said, if you believe God, believe me also. For in my father's house, lots of mansions, many mansions. One house, many mansions in that house. Just one house, but a lot of mansions in it. And our Lord said, and I go to prepare a place for you. And he went to that cross to prepare us that place. And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, you know what he said? I'll come again. What are you coming for, Lord? To get you. Huh? To get you. And take you to be with me where I am. That's what he told that thief on the cross. He says, today, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Huh? Oh, my we're looking. I'm looking. I'm looking all the time. Every once in a while, I, every once in a while, I think, boy, Lord, it'd be wonderful if you'd come get us all at one time. Wouldn't that be the most wonderful thing in the world? God said it like this. He says, you know, when, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a shout, and the last trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Graves are going to open. People's going to come up out of the ocean. All those people burned at the stakes going to be put back together. All the people's turned to dust from ages going to be put back together. And then when the dead in Christ shall rise, graves are going to open everywhere. And then we which are alive and remain shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll rise up to meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. <laughs> and you know what he said at the end of that? Comfort one another with these words. That's comforting words, ain't it? <laughs> oh, oh, my. When, when they, you know, Brother Henry Mahan, bless his heart. He prayed every night for years, Lord, let me go home tonight. Let me go home tonight. And before he, Scott, when he said, he told me, he said, I prayed every night for me and Scott. Lord, take us home, take us home, take us home. And when I heard that the Lord took him home, you know what I did? I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. That man is rested from his labors. His works has gone before him. After him, his works is going after him, and now he's in the. We's now where he's been praying to be for decades. Oh my! He waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. He couldn't hear nothing. If you talked to him, you had to write to him. But I tell you one thing: he's got right now. He's got perfect hearing. Huh? Oh. That's the most blessed thing in the world God can do for you. Is to take you from this world to the next. Huh? You know, 
I don't know how, how some of you all raised. I was raised pretty poor. There was, I, you know, I went to school when I was a freshman in high school. I had to wear used clothes, and I had and I had shoes that didn't. The bottom was wore out on the bottom of them that they give to me, and I'd have to put. Uh, they had old uh, uh, milk cartons, you know. Used to be, every milk cartons used to come in half gallons, and you or, and I'd cut, you know, we'd cut big pieces out of them milk cartons. And stick them down in those holes so, you know, that I wouldn't, my feet wouldn't be on the ground. And, you know, you, at Christmas time, you didn't get nothing else but just a suit of clothes. That's what you got. And i tell you what. <laughs> and you live in these old shacks, you know. Where my, where my wife was raised, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and snow would be on your blanket. Them old cracks and them old log houses and stuff, put tar around the tar paper around it. Be cold. Oh my goodness, it'd be so cold. And I was eating one time, I went to these people's houses to eat with them one time and had fried rabbit, fried potatoes, and eggs. And she put them on the plate and the lard turned white, cold, before she handed it to me right off the skillet, off a wood stove. <laughs> Now, who in the world wants to live like that? Who wants to live in an old, sorry shack? And that's what we're living in, an old, sorry shack. <laughs> the wind blows through it. It gets cold. It gets hot. It gets cold. In the summer, it gets hot. In the winter, it gets cold. Who wants to live in an old, sorry shack with tar paper around it? Lord, tear it down. Give me that new one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh my you see we live and we do and we act as if our hour is always at hand David said my expectation is from the Lord and you talking about a future people say oh boy I've got the wonderful future I've got the most glorious future we've got the most glorious future you know <laughs> we read the back of the book We've read, the, you know, we've read what, what the ending's going to be. Our Lord told us what the end of this thing's going to be. Now, most folks, they, you know, they want to wait to get to the end to find out what the thing's going to happen. But we know exactly what's going to happen when it gets to the end. Oh, what a future we have. What glory we have to look forward to. We're waiting. He said, they wait patiently. We're waiting. He'll come. We're waiting. He'll call us. We're waiting. He'll receive us. And he'll take us where he is that we could be with him. Huh? Oh, my. Mm. Oh, what a blessed hope. Well, let me show you the sixth one here right quick. I hope I'm not taking too long. Look over here in chapter 4 and verse 9. Here's the, here's the, here's the sixth, sixth attitude that believers have. Learning of God. Look what he said here in verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. Now listen to this. For you yourselves are taught of God. God teaches you something. You know our Lord said it like this. He says, no man can come unto the Father but by me. And everyone that hath heard and learned of the Father 
Because it is written, they shall all be taught of God, and everyone that hath heard and learned of the Father shall come unto me. And all thy children shall be taught of God, and great shall be their peace. And I tell you, to be taught of God. You know, Paul, you know John said it like this, that no man needs to teach you. The same anointing that you have, it'll teach you. Just like what I'm saying today, I'm not saying anything that you haven't heard time and time and time again. I'm not. But here's the thing about it. You couldn't understand what I'm saying. You couldn't grasp what I'm saying. You couldn't enjoy what I'm saying. You couldn't rejoice in what I'm saying unless you already hadn't already been taught of God. Ain't that right? God's already taught you. But let me tell you something else. There ain't no graduates from this school that God put you in. <laughs> oh, you know, there ain't no graduates. These guys get these Doctor of Divinity degrees and Master of Divinity degrees and, and uh, all that. Can you imagine somebody saying, you know, I'm a Master of Divinity. I'm a Master of the Bible. I'm a Doctor of Divinity. Can you imagine somebody's, oh my, doctor of divinity, doctor of divine things, master of divine things. Oh my, I'd be, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed to get up and say such a thing. Oh, no graduates from this school. We're always learning, always learning. And you know, most of the time we have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. I've been, <laughs> I've been in this school now for, oh, 43, 44 years, something like that. Maybe 45, I don't know. But it's been a while. And about the time I think I learned something, I find out, buddy, i got to start all over again. It's just like you start back in the first grade. You go, you get about this far up and down you go. You got to just learn over and over and over again, don't you? You have to learn the same lessons. Learn to be quiet. Then we hear somebody say, study to be quiet. So, oh, Lord, I need to learn that lesson. <laughs> you'll learn it for about a month or so, and then you'll do it again. <laughs> be kind one to another. Will you please quit saying that to me? You know, and so we, we just, we have to learn the same lessons over and over and over. We have to learn the same lessons over and over and over. And you know where we get the best lessons taught at? Sitting at the feet of Christ, right like we are right now. Sitting, learning from the feet of Christ right now. Huh? Oh, the Mary, Martha said, Lord, I'm over here working, I'm fixing supper, and I'm washing the dishes and all that, and Mary's sitting there doing nothing. He said, Martha, 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 you're worrying yourself to death about a lot of things. But you leave Mary alone. She's chosen that good part. You just let her go. You go and do your business. I'm not going to fix and tell her to get up. And I tell you what, that's what the way we get cumbered about a lot of things. But, boys, take, just sit down at the feet of Christ and say, oh, Lord. Lord, teach me. Teach me. And I've often said this. I said, Lord, take me like I'm a glass or a cup. And break me, break me into shatter me into pieces. And put me back together. And make me a vessel that you can use. 
Huh? Oh, feel like I never learned nothing. But you know what the chief lesson he tells us here to learn? Verse 9, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, yourselves also are taught of God. What are we taught? To love one another. To love one another. And do it more and more and more and more. The chief lesson is to love one another. Our Lord said, take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden's light. And he said, take it. You know, we're joined to him, yoked to him. You ever seen things yoked together? They take, take mules, you know, and put the collars on them, pull them together, and horses and pull them together. And then they used to put yoke on oxen out of wood. And I had, to, I had a calf one time. I had to cut me a yoke out and put it around him to make him stay in the field because he was out all the time. I put a yoke on him. He couldn't go nowhere. And our Lord said, and that made it hard on him. But our Lord said, take my yoke. You, I'll, I'll be over here and you'll be right there. And you'll be yoked to me. And my yoke is so easy. My burden is so light. And it is, ain't it? Oh, it's so light. Religion makes your burden heavy. Don't it? Legalism makes your burden heavy. Works religion makes your burden heavy. But Christ makes it light. Light. Huh? All right. Here's, the, here's my last lesson. My last lesson. Chapter 2, verse 12. Well, I'm in the wrong, wrong one. I'm over 2 Thessalonians 2.12. Is that what I said here? Yeah. That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and to his glory. Walk worthy of God. What does it mean to walk worthy of God? It's to walk like God is your master. That God is your Lord. God is your God. And, and you know, Enoch walked with God. Let me tell you something about Enoch. Enoch lived to be, he walked with God 300 years. And here's the thing about it. He no doubt had a job. He no tell, I'm no tell how many kids he had. He didn't have electric lights. He didn't have a car. He didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have anything we have. He couldn't go to the grocery store. But the scripture said Enoch walked with God. How did he do it? By faith. Looking to God, believing God. And oh, what a blessed, blessed occupation to do. Walk as becoming sons of God. I'm a son of God. I'm going to carry myself like a son of God. I'm going to carry myself like somebody that belongs to God. And you know what it means is to walk in love. What it means to walk in his fullness, walk in his power. And you know, and we believe in God's absolute sovereignty. Absolutely so. Everything in this world, as far as I'm concerned, is predestinated. I mean, every, the amount of breath that I've got, the times I'll blink my eyes, how many hours I'll sleep, and how many motes are in the air right here this moment. God put them all there. And so we'll say that. And yet people will murmur. 
people will be discontent and they complain and they'll be stingy and they'll dispute among themselves and they'll be envious of one another and hold grudges. These things are not worthy of God. Uh-uh. No, no. Don't never burn any bridges. If there's something that's ever happened between you and anybody or anybody's ever left anything, don't burn any bridges. Don't burn any bridges. Somebody may want to come back across that thing with you, be with you again. Don't burn any bridges. And it's so unbecoming, so unbecoming people that walk with God talk about murmuring, complaining, being discontent. Oh, listen. Arguing, disputing, holding grudges. I don't believe, I do not believe, I do not believe with all my heart that a child of God cannot hold a grudge. I just don't believe they can do it. I just don't believe they can do it. I, I, it would worry them to death. Huh? I offended a man one time and got home and it just, oh my goodness. And I offended him publicly, and I apologized to him publicly. I hurt his feelings publicly, and I apologized publicly. I've had to ask my own children to forgive me for the way I acted towards them sometimes, or the way I acted in front of somebody else. And whatever you do, do not never, I'm going to give you a little advice here, whatever you do, do not never talk about the preacher in a negative way, to anybody, anytime. Don't do that. Because all you got to do is say something negative about your dear pastor here. And next thing you know, somebody will say, well, they, well I can't hardly believe it. Then they won't come and listen to him because you said something about him. Negative. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you got anything to say about him, say, boy, I tell you what, I love him. I love him. I love what he has to say. I love his attitude. I love his nature. You know, that's the that's thing to do. There are some folks that left our place for 36 or 37 years, and they showed back up here about three months ago. They're old now. Old. And the first thing he told me when he come back, he said, I'm so sorry that I left. He said, I should have never, never left. And he said, now they tell me every time they come, we're so thankful that you let us come. Like it's up to me whether they come or not. 37 years they were gone. (laughs) Oh, boy. Don't, you know, if you, that old saying, you know, if you can't say something good, just keep your mouth shut. That's the true saying. And, and I'll tell you something else, and I'm done. Only believe half of what you hear. And only, no, don't believe nothing you hear, and only believe half of what you see, because it may not be as, as, it, as it seems to you when you, after you found out what's going on. <laughs> you know, you see somebody get out and go into some place, and you say, oh, my goodness, he's going into a honky-tonk. He may not be, he may go in there someplace to do something, use the bathroom or something. You don't know until you run out and say, I've seen him going into that bar. 
And then you go tell somebody that, and he just went in there to go to the bathroom. Get him a Coke or something. And so you'll make that fellow out to be just, boy, I, I can't believe he is going in there. So, I mean, just don't believe anything you hear, and certainly just believe half of what you see with your eyes, because it may not be that way at all. Ain't that right? Am I telling you the truth? Huh? I tell you, the Lord is good. Oh, so gracious. I love you. I know your preacher does. I know your preacher does. God bless you.